Overdose is hosting its annual Finding Connections in Grief conference Friday, October 20th through Sunday, October 22nd at the Sheraton Framingham Hotel and Conference Center. Join people who are bereaved as they come together to find courage, hope, healing, and community. The Finding Connections in Grief conference Friday, October 20th through Sunday, October 22nd at the Sheraton Framingham Hotel and Conference Center. Reserve your spot right now. SADOD.org. That's SADOD.org. WMEX Quincy Boston. Streaming at WMEXBoston.com. And on your smart speaker, just say play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all new WMEX. WMEX Boston. Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. And tonight we have a very in-studio guest, very special guest, Dan Schneider. And if anybody's watched uh, Netflix, The Pharmacist, that would be Dan. Uh, over 140 million views, the last count I saw in, in writing. The uh, number two show of all time on Netflix. The only one that beat him is The Tiger. The- yeah. Yeah, during COVID. That's uh, that was it. So, well, welcome, Dan. We're very special to have you here. And I understand you drove. Well, I know you made a few stops, but you drove from New Orleans, and you're vacationing in New England, which is a pleasure. We're glad to have you. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a long drive, and it, 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 like crazy Dan, they call me sometime from the, from the documentary, some of the things I did. But it's kind of crazy. I came here in an electric car. Okay. And I'm not a tree hugger or anything, okay? I just love the car. It has a lot of power and whatnot. And around home, it's great. But boy, on this trip, man, finding these stations and then if they were occupied. So any event, it's, it's been an adventure. Well, I saw the car. It's a beautiful Mustang. And I guarantee you, you're the first person from Louisiana who's driven a battery-operated Mustang all the way to Massachusetts. <laughs> There's no doubt that you're the first one. So... <laughs> We'll put that down in the Guinness Book of Records. I would think so. I would think so. Okay. So, Dan, you made a few stops on the way here. You stopped in Washington, D.C., and did you go to more than one speech? Yeah, I actually went to four different events. I really only spoke at one of the events. I participated in all. And that was the uh, Parents Against Purdue Pharma? The, the main one was by Ed Bish, and it was it was a march uh, in front of the DOJ. We had a big rally, uh, uh, and uh, David Morgan was in, involved in it. Ed Bish was involved in it. We had uh, Rick Moncow, Moncastle, who, who was Moncastle. Uh, we had uh, I can't think of all of the, the, the people involved in it, but uh, we had tons of people, and uh, all about trying to get the. Sacklers, criminally prosecuted. Uh, you know, they they have pled guilty to a number of things. Of course, it was Purdue Formal pleading guilty, but Purdue Formal was the Sacklers, okay? And uh, yes, they've agreed to pay some money, but 
the money that they pay in, which is a fairly substantial amount, is only the interest on the money that they've made off of this. So they, they, none well, of it's coming. It's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, it's a drop in a bucket. It's like a fine, and they got no criminal responsibility. However, uh, it, it is still possible uh, that uh, Mary Garland could make a decision to actually prosecute them. And uh, uh, as Rick Moncastle uh, said, they had it ready. They, they had it ready, and higher-ups prevented it from happening. And he even mentioned that Rudy Giuliani at the time was heavily involved with uh, 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 Purdue and was their attorney and their PR man. And at that time, he was held in very high esteem. And so he had influence on the, 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 the attorney general, maybe even the president of the United States at that time. He was a hero. And he, he, they, were, they were not allowed to criminally prosecute him. And so, yeah, uh, that was under Judge Bush administration, the second Judge Bush. Well, and recently the judge was Judge Drain, and uh, Judge Drain was with the—they they turned it into a bankruptcy situation. So it really wasn't a criminal situation, and uh, they was able to have the company declare bankruptcy, okay? And the company doesn't have as much money as the Sacklers have, uh, but getting a fairly substantial amount of money eventually. Uh, but Judge Drain— we felt the whole while was was pretty biased in this or influenced. Oh, he was a paid-for judge. From what I understand, uh, Purdue Farmers in Stanford, Connecticut, and they moved their office to White Plains, New York, and claimed that was their corporate office, and that's where that's how they ended up with that judge. They did. So basically, and they bought that judge. You absolutely. And the latest is that judge now is working for a law firm that actually represented Purdue. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. But when they gave the immunity to the Sacklers, uh, the, my, the people, a couple of attorney generals appealed it, and it went to the appellate's court. And just the last two months, it was overturned. So it's, like we say it's loose ball now because the Sacklers have no longer, the, farm, the bankruptcy is thrown out as well as the, uh, as well as the, the immunity fact of the bankruptcy does not exist anymore. So now everybody and anybody that wants to can go after the Sacklers again. A absolutely. However, they're still uh, billionaires and they got the greatest attorneys and they can delay and they can buy and they can influence. So it's not a done deal that we were going to really be able to criminally hurt them or even uh, individually hurt them. That remains to be seen. But we out there trying to make sure that that happens because we feel like if we don't get accountability with them, uh, the next company that comes along that wants to push this thing, if they, if they know they skated with just some fines, and, and, and who pays for the fines, okay? The, the, the people that buy the drugs pay for the fines, okay? And what they do is they raise the price on their drugs to pay for these yeah. fines. So the fines really cost them nothing. Okay, so you you got to get them where where it hurts. You take it now. We could really get their personal money. That would help. We have managed to kind of tarnish their image. Okay, which to them was was everything at one time. Okay, but you know there's been a lot of shows, and you've probably seen some of them. But my, my show touched on it. Uh, uh, Dope Sick did an excellent job with it. The more recent one is called Painkiller. Uh, it, it's done a pretty good job with it. And uh, Empire Pain, I, I, you know, I, I can go on and on and on with the shows that touched oh, yeah. on it. But yet we still haven't gotten them by the, uh, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, you know? we've, we've dis destroyed their reputation. But based on what I saw from Kathy Sackler when she was being interviewed, 
the the person who was running the committee asked her if she had it all over to do again, knowing that your drug killed close to a million people. Would you do anything different? And she thought for 10 seconds, and she said, no, absolutely not. No. So, so she has no moral sense of anything. She is, does not seem to care about anybody but herself. Absolutely. It, it is absolutely sad. And, uh, you know, uh, it is, you know uh, one of the things I want to bring that I think is fairly new to, to the public about this is, you know, anybody who questions whether Purdue had evil intent early on, and maybe, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, okay? But along the way, their intent for sure was evil. And one of the proof that has recently come out is is that uh, Purdue avoided a few states in the country. There was a few states in the country where they had, like I think, a pharmacy monitoring program. They had triplicate prescriptions. And in those states, there was a lot of enforcement, okay? And so uh, they looked at that and said, well, we just won't deal with those states. We're not going to invest our money where it might be hard for us to push our dope, basically, okay? And they went on to spend their money in other states, especially states that were poor states. They had working-class people. They targeted these people, and, and, and they targeted the fact they didn't have quite as much enforcement, quite as much as uh, regulation, you might say. And so evidently those states got hit harder, but What's really interesting about this fact now, knowing that Purdue focused on the states or didn't focus on these certain states that would have given them a little bit more pressure, today, now that fentanyl is killing people, and OxyContin really isn't killing that many anymore, okay? It's fentanyl, okay? But those states that Purdue did not market to have less fentanyl deaths. And so, so you know, there is... The deaths that are occurring today that everybody says, well, it's really, uh, you know, got control of the prescriptions and whatnot, and uh, it's history what Purdue did. It isn't history. The people that are dying now are dying because of the sackless marketing, because of the Purdue marketing of this thing, convincing doctors, involving people who had minor injuries in long-term opioids. And and now they, they, they've gotten so addicted and their brains have been so twisted around, okay, they now take anything they can do to prevent withdrawals. And so Purdue had a lot to do with it, still does. Yeah, and half the time they don't even know they're taking anything with fentanyl. That's, they're thinking they're taking a, a, you know, an Oxycontin pill, and it turns out that the pill has got fentanyl in it. And Absolutely. They're, they're unaware of that, but, but the drug makers are making them super strong so people think they're going to get a great high from it. And if you're not accustomed to that level of drug, uh, you'll die. It doesn't take long. One pill can kill, you know. You, at one pill, one dose can kill. And you absolutely right. You know, fentanyl, a lot of people, you know, I'm also a pharmacist. I'm not just the pharmacist. I am a pharmacist. And what isn't mentioned very much is these deaths have what they call a very small therapeutic index. And what the therapeutic index is, it's really, I used to say it scientifically, it's the difference between a drug has an effect and its lethality, okay? And a lot of drugs, for instance, alcohol, you know, you can drink a whole bunch of alcohol before it's going to kill yourself. Now, you might in the long range kill yourself, but you have to take 10 times the normal drinking or 100 times the normal thing to die. With fentanyl, it has a very small index. Now, I recently heard, I borrowed from other people, okay, that's the difference between high and die. There's almost no difference between high and die. Whatever it takes to get you high, 
is pretty close to death. So if you just go slightly over that, and obviously if you have low tolerance, that happens a lot quicker. Okay. That's but right. even with people who are actually experts in this or, or, or long-term addicts, you might say, who think they can manipulate this thing, they make the slightest mistake or they have some other drug or they had a couple of drinks of alcohol or they took some Benadryl or, or some cold remedy, they can die with this fentanyl because of its small therapeutic index. And, and, and then, as you said, they are putting this thing in other drugs, okay, that people who are, are, are novices or experimenters or think they're taking a so-called regulated or safe opioid, safe prescription opioid, like Percocet or Xanax or whatnot, and it has fentanyl, in it, they dying. And then in the black community, in the black community, who for years has snorted cocaine, okay, and believe it or not, I, I hate to call it recreational, but a lot of them have lived a long time and some of them even function with it. And the blacks weren't really dying so much from the opioids as much as the whites were. Well, now the blacks are dying. They're dying from fentanyl. And the reason why they're doing it is because they started doctoring the cocaine that they use with fentanyl. And, they, and it either killed them outright or it turned them into addicts, opioid addicts. That's right. They, I was going to say their drug dealer turned it. The, the drug dealer turned them into opioid addicts yeah. to keep them uh, going. Keep them customers. And, and, and occasionally, because it's fentanyl, they, they, the deaths are skyrocketing in, in the black community, uh, uh, com, even compared to whites right now, okay? Whereas the whites at one time had a, a big margin of that. So it's, and, and let me tell you, I heard your intro and you had a great intro, okay? But it's a little bit dated, okay? And, and what I mean, but I don't mean to be negative about that, but, but, no longer do we just call it overdose. We call it poisoning. And, right. and, and, and it, the, the difference is, don't get me wrong, if, if, if it's a long-term person with substance use disorder or addiction, okay, uh, and they take it, they accidentally maybe take too much, okay, and they overdose and die. But if you take a kid that, that his mom and dad have been, uh, he's been on Adderall, for instance, it's a drug to help him in school or help him uh, uh, temper himself. And then he maybe buys an Adderall on the outside because he can't get his prescription filled or something like that, okay? Well, he takes that Adderall, which is not going to kill him. It's not even going to get him high or anything, okay? He takes the Adderall, but guess what? The Adderall now is really mostly fentanyl, unknown to him, and he dies. Well, did that kid really overdose? No, he was poisoned. He was poisoned. So, so there, there's a certain, and I know there's a gray area. Sometimes it's somewhere in between a, a regular drug user who who probably should know or does know that it might contain that, but some of these people don't know it at all, and it's definitely poisoned. And it, it's it, it's really a sad state of affairs. I mean, recently the CDC, last year we've been talking about 110,000 overdose deaths. We just got the most the recent 12 month figure in, and it, and it, the good news is it only went up 1,000, but it's now 111,000, okay? And, and that's kind of a slowdown because it was going at a faster rate than that. But it's still, you know, I, I, I'm an LSU fan. I'm from Louisiana, okay? And in our stadium, and there's a few stadiums around the country, ours is called Death Valley. And I think it holds about 90,000 people. It's a big stadium, okay? Not the biggest, but one of the biggest. And if you think about this, you could put 100... you. 110,000 bodies that have died from
from either overdose or, po or poisoning, okay, it would overflow Death Valley. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it would overflow the stadium. It was just about the, the, the big house in Michigan that would be in, in the... Amen. I think in Michigan's 100,000, I believe. Okay, so he would probably outdo that. Yeah, he holds 105. Um, just for a little bit here, if anybody would like to talk to Dan, it's 781-834-9639. 781-834-9639. Give us a call right now. Ben will pick up the phone, and uh, we'll get you on the air. All right? Now, before we go further... The one thing I also would like to mention, I know there was another convention in, in uh, D.C., I want to call it a convention, but a rally or, or so forth, and there's a big emphasis about closing the border in, in, in uh, Texas. I always seem to want to close the border in Texas. They never talk about it much in California or Arizona. But here's the thing that, that I know for a fact you can't close the part of the border that, that that needs to be closed is all the trucks coming into the country. Right. It's the people who are walking across the Rio Grande and trying to get into our country are not bringing in bags of fentanyl. That's a that's a that's a political delusion that people are trying to amen. They're trying to tell you. Uh, you need to understand that a hundred thousand eighteen wheelers cross the border every day. A hundred thousand. And you could put, in the size of a Bible, you could put enough fentanyl to deal with 100,000 people. So it's easy to hide it. It's easy to put it anywhere. And the statistics from the DEA is that 75 or 80 percent of the people bringing in the fentanyl are Americans that are uh, going absolutely. down, picking up the, their orders in Mexico and bringing them back. They might be loads of truckloads of furniture. They could be truckloads of vacuum cleaners. Could be anything. That's being made in Mexico, and even even I get my raspberries from Mexico. So you know anything you see in the in the, those those can be easily hidden in those trucks, and to stop a hundred thousand trucks, you would it would be an economic nightmare. It absolutely would. And be. so that's not going to happen. So to Look, me, I, I appreciate you you bringing it up because. Is it is a delusion that's that, that's being spread over there, and it's a political delusion. Okay, and, and the real proof of that is let me give you one other stat. You gave me a few that, I mean, I knew in general. I didn't know it was a hundred thousand trucks. I knew most of it was coming in across legal points of entry. Okay, yeah. but you put some real numbers on it, and it's, it's hard to manage that, and you can't close the border, so to speak. Now, th th that being said, now Donald Trump did do a better job of. Reducing illegal immigration. And we can debate whether that was the greatest thing in the world and how he went about doing it, but he did. And I have to admit, the illegal immigration is a bad thing in, in the numbers that's happening. It's just too much to handle. But his last year of his presidency, while he had the lowest number, I think, of illegal immigrants, with maybe hats off, depending on how you look at that, okay, fentanyl increased more than ever. There was a 31% increase in overdose deaths or in poisoning deaths related to fentanyl. And the, the statistics of the, the capture went way up. So that was really proof in a pudding that so-called tightening up illegal immigration was the answer for fentanyl. Now, it might have been an answer for reducing the illegal immigration, and that, that has some issues, okay? 
But to try to comport those two things together, fentanyl with tightening up the border, is nothing but a Republican argument, okay? And, yeah, it's and, a and big it, falsehood. And, and it's a big falsehood. And, and what's sad about that is if they ever, ever, it, it, to some extent, Trump almost closed a, a portion of the border to illegal immigration, okay? Fentanyl shot, in fact, it may have, they actually think it may have caused an increase. Well, I mean, I know that particular year it did, but it was increasing anyway, okay? But it might actually force more of a, 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 of a, a of a situation. They have a better job of catching it over the border, and it's smaller amounts than they can bring in on those trucks that you're talking about. And, you know, the and he focused so much money away from points of entry that he allowed more to come in through points of entry. So, you know, it, it, it's two different issues. Illegal immigration and fentanyl supply or two different issues that that's has to be clarified to anybody out there yeah i mean the, the big thing there's actually three points that i would say number one you've got to make a deal with china to get them to stop manufacturing the chemicals that can be made to make fentanyl that's number one and number two that that chemical those chemicals end up being imported into mexico Correct. to the cartels and so that's another point of entry. You've got to get Mexico to pay attention to the chemicals that are coming into their country. And the third, another big thing is you've got to go after the cartels and stop them. I mean, if you get rid of one, another one would pop up pretty quick probably because there's enough soldiers. they got over 1,000. They're, they're like, a, a, like a corporation. There's so many part of it. But the biggest factor is you've got to educate the Americans to stop doing it, that's the big thing. We have to educate them. The man. Yeah, we have all this money going into the states now from the different bankruptcies with Johnson and Johnson and McKesson and Cardinal Health and Walgreens, CVS, CVS, Walmart. We got millions and millions of dollars coming in. We need to spend it in in advertising the dangers like we did with this tobacco industry. Amen. We need to take that money and we need to get people to understand that just because you've done cocaine in the past doesn't mean you can do it tomorrow. Correct. You know, or today even. You know, we get, we, that's, kids, young kids can't experiment like maybe you could in the past. Never was a good idea for a young kid yeah. to do this, but now it's it can be instant death. Yeah, it's one thing to steal your pills from your grandmother, but your grandmother doesn't have any fake pills that she bought from the street that's in her correct. medicine cabinet. But other pills that have come into this country that are fake pills. I and they're getting them on social media. Social media is se- selling these pills. So they, Somebody's they, hustling them. Yeah, they, they can order a Xanax, which should be a benign thing for a kid to take, okay? And, and, and they get it delivered, like pizza. Yeah. Okay, and then if it's laced with, you find a kid in the bedroom. How many parents right now found a kid in the bedroom that's dead because oh. he took a supposedly a Xanax? So, no, it's... It's a horrible situation, and you hit on it. You're right. It's a complex situation, though. Obviously, we got to try to stop China, but we can't go to war with China, <laughs> okay? All right? And uh, if we could boycott them, but I don't know that the American public can even do that any longer. We're so addicted to lower prices, so that's a difficult situation. Uh, you can try to apply diplomatic pressure, but that doesn't really seem to do. It hasn't worked for 20 years. It, it, it doesn't work. So... 
I think we got to focus on, on Mexico and applying pressure because in that particular case, and, and you know, I might be a little radical here now, okay? I, I don't really want to start a war over this, okay? But I do think we should be putting more pressure on, on Mexico. And, and I, I think we ought to be at least threatening them that if you don't do it, we're going to do it, okay? Well, I agree. I mean, just imagine if some country, let's say, you know, for argument's sake, somebody like Colombia or somebody that was killing 100,000 of Americans with bullets every year, right? I mean, that would be, we'd be at war with them. Wouldn't but, take, wouldn't take that. Only 1,000 bullets and we'd be after them. I mean, 3,000 people died in the World Trade Center and we sent armies to, to, Absolutely. to Afghanistan and Iraq. Look what we Iraq. spent on COVID. Look what we spent on COVID. And don't get me wrong, I don't begrudge what we spent on COVID. But the truth is, we spent trillions on COVID, okay? And between ages 15 to 54, okay, more people died during COVID between 15 and 54 from drug overdoses and poisoning than died in COVID. And we spent trillions and trillions, and yet we spend a few billion on this issue. And you're right, there's going to be... Over fifty billion coming to the states from all these different settlements, and until we, we, I'm working, and we all got to work to try to make sure it's not squandered because it could easily be squandered. Okay, right. and, and so it, it's so critical. And I also wanted to say something else too. And this is kind of a plug, but you know, I, I now have a movie in the works. It's going to be a movie of the pharmacist. Okay, in fact, later this month I'm going to be meeting with the director and the producer. Okay, we think now it's been kind of sitting on the shelf now for a while. We thought it was going to happen sooner, but it looks like it may come to reality. And one of the things that I saw this weekend in D.C., okay, yeah, I was there was a couple of events. I went to the DOJ meeting where we were trying to get the Sacklers uh, prosecuted. Then I went to a, a group called Demobilize Recovery. It's a guy named Ryan Hampton. He's got a couple books out, okay? And it, it's all encouraging rec uh, re recovery. And it's more on reducing demand than fooling with supply, okay? Which is, that's important. It, 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 and it was an excellent meeting. Fantastic speakers, okay? I learned a lot there. Then I went to... I was invited to go to the ONDC meeting in the building right next to the White House. So it was on the White House grounds, and I was one of about 50 people that were invited to go there, okay? And we listened to Raul Gupta, which is the, the, the drug czar now officially, okay? And there's a representative, uh, Paul Tonko, that, that I met with there, who's a big advocate for the medicines for opiate use disorder, and I want to touch on that. Uh, but So we went to that meeting. But then we did go to the Lost Voices of Fentanyl Group. And this is the group that is more the border control people, okay? And although I disagree with them politically and using that as a political tool, it is a group of about 20,000 mothers that have lost kids. And although they may be misguided on what it takes to solve this thing, I really had a great deal of sympathy for those mothers and their grief. And they had pictures up tons and tons of pictures of young kids all that have passed. Then further on the mall uh, uh, in front of the Capitol, now one group was on one side of the mall and one other group was on another side of the mall, was a group called, uh, uh, I think it's called Truth, Trail of Truth, okay? And th this group is more the demand side again, okay? Uh, and, and, and harm reduction, okay? But they also had... 3,000 made-up 
cardboard things with pictures in grave tombs. And they lined them up in graves and looked like Arlington Cemetery, okay, with the, and when you think about it, more kids have died. And I, when I speak of kids, you know, I'm 73 years of age now, okay? And so, you know, anybody under 50 to me is almost a kid, okay? Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of 22-year-olds and 25-year-olds, and I lost my boy when he was 22. Ed Biss lost his when he was 22. I don't know how old your son was, but, you know. He was older. He was a little bit older. But, but even still, he probably wasn't 50 years old. Okay? No. No. And so, and, and what I'd like to do in the movie, I'm, I'm going to talk to the producers about this. We are going to try to do something at the end of my movie, okay? The beginning of it, for anybody who haven't seen it, okay? The beginning of it starts with me, me solving my son's murder, okay? And doing ex crazy things, you might say, to some extent. I had to walk in dangerous neighborhoods, and there was a stigma, and the police didn't want to work on my son's case because he was out there buying drugs, and... Uh, I had to go out and take it upon myself to do it, and God was with me, and, and luck, or whatever you want to call it, but I survived, and I solved the murder, and then I went on to do war with the opioids, and that's all part of the story, and if you haven't seen the performances on Netflix, take a look at it, and, and come in, hopefully within the next two or three years, we think we'll have a movie to the big screen. Okay. But at the end of that movie, we're going to try to kind of update things, because most of what I did was done, my son was killed in 1999, and I worked all very, very hard and did incredible things all the way up until Katrina hit my, my state, in my community. And it really knocked me out for a couple of years, okay? And then I kind of was really part-time in my advocacy, okay? I've gotten to be more of an advocate now since the pharmacist came out in the year 2020, okay? But there was a bunch of years there where I was kind of half in, half out, okay? But, but I'd like to get something on these fentanyl deaths. Now that we know I was at war with OxyContin back in uh, those early years, 2000 to 2005, uh, but I now have to, I would like those tombstones to be shown at the end of my movie, just a, tons and tons and rows and rows of people between anywhere from as young as 12 years of age and, and most of them less than 50 years of age. And the overwhelming majority of them between 20 and 30 years of age, or 18 and 30 years of age. And it, when you really, it was moving to see that, okay? It was really moving to see that. And I, I, I would hope that people that look at my story and I had some success, okay? This ain't over. It's, it's gotten worse. Now I'm gonna move on to, we do have, we think, a solution not to ending this, but to greatly reducing it. Paul Tongo was the guy who pushed something called the MAT Act. I, I, at one time, I was even mistaken. I thought it was the Medically Assisted Treatment Act. A lot of people have heard of MAT, okay, or some people have, and it's Medically Assisted Treatment, meaning, meaning you really try to get a person with counselors and, and, and everything else, but in addition, you add some medicine to kind of help them along, okay. Well, the MAT Act, is not really the, the Medically Assisted Act. It's mainstreaming addiction treatment, making addiction treatment available to all. And unfortunately, the federal government didn't put it in their budget, okay? But hopefully we can use opioid money and whatnot. But, but what they did do with the MAD Act, Paul Tonko got true, is they removed the x ray where 
there was only a certain amount of doctors that had jumped through certain hoops to prescribe this thing. And it was far easier for a person to get Oxycontin or any opioid than it was to get this medicine for treating addiction. Now they've opened it up where these doctors can. Now we have to motivate these doctors to do it because a lot of them, I was even one myself that at one time didn't think it was all like great uh, or I thought it was a mixed bag. And, and, and I'm not saying it's perfect now, but with the poisonous deaths out there, this drug can really help a person avoid buying on the street. And, and the interesting thing of that is, you know, one of the things that you really could do to the cartels and the Mexicans, other than trying to figure out a way to enforce this and stop this or blow up the labs or whatever you think you could do is, if we could get every American who has, has withdrawals, and there's a few that want to get high, so they probably wouldn't do this drug because this drug doesn't get you high. Okay? But it does stop withdrawals and it stops craving. If we could get every American... And there's plenty of them that are on this stuff that want to get off. They, they just don't know how to get off, okay? If we could get every American do that and give it to them at zero cost, they can't beat zero cost. I don't know what they would do because they, one of the things that they've been able to do is they've always been able to beat the price of the drugs that we have over here, okay? Our prescription drugs, even with Oxycontin, which which, if abused, could kill you. And many times it became abusive because of the addiction. But in reality, if you took it as directed, usually you wouldn't have died. Okay? And now this fentanyl kills everybody. But, but people would rather take fentanyl than, than take a prescription, or a real prescription opioid, because it costs 10 times as much. But if we had a drug that these people could take that would stop their cravings and reduce their withdrawals and we really got it out there full bore okay and convinced everybody it's a good idea to try this thing we can make a dent in the problem and we can kind of hurt the cartel so that my message is out there we got a solution and it's it, it, we're not using it and that's one of my focuses right now is actually advocating for that i'm going to meet with paul tonko okay and, and and we're going to work on doing it. And I'm in my local community and everybody out there in your local community, meet with your people that are spending these, directing where this opioid money comes. Yes, we need prevention in schools. Yes, we need education. Okay. Yes, we need even traditional treatment if we can get traditional treatment. But the least expensive treatment, and it's just as effective, is these medicines. And we got to market Almost like they marketed Oxycontin. We got to get out there and advertise that these drugs can save lives. I'll kind of close on this thing. We may move on. We may come back to it. But I will close on this. I got a niece. And she's a, a, a heroin addict. You know, it, it, it runs in everybody's family. And I don't care if you're a pharmacist and you've preached this all your life. It, it still happens. So anyway, I've tried to help her along the way. Okay. And she's in a court audit program right now. It was either jail okay, or, 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 or this court program, drug court type of program. And she's ordered, to, mandated to be on, on Suboxone, which is one of the medicines for opiate use disorder. Okay. So she takes the Suboxone, okay, and they inject it. It's called Sublicade. And the good thing about that is if you take it, you get a 30-day supply. You can't change your mind not taking it. So pretty much it's keeping her off opioids. But you know what? She still got what you'd call substance use disorder. She still wanted to figure out a way to get high. And we're working on trying to get her off that track. 
But she goes to a friend's house who has cocaine. And so she says, well, hell, you know, uh, you know, it don't interact with what I'm taking. Uh, you know, I can do a little cocaine. So she does the cocaine. And, and actually, she gets a little bit of an effect out of it, okay? I'm not here to promote cocaine, okay? But it, she does it. But then she goes back to drug court, and they test. And if she's only got the sublocate in it, which is an authorized medication, and it, it's a partial opioid, okay, but it shows that she has fentanyl. And she tells them, I didn't take fentanyl. And actually, she didn't. No, she took the cocaine. Fentanyl was in the cocaine. But this is the good news about that medicine. She didn't die. Because this medicine blocks the more powerful opioid. In other words, it, 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 it gets on all the receptors in the brain, okay? And when fentanyl comes in, it can't get in. So it can't reduce the breathing. Now, I guess we took enough fentanyl, it, 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 some of it could leak in, and, but, but not enough to kill you. So the girl's alive today, okay, even though she cheated and took that drug. And so the more people we can get on this thing, we got to, we gotta, I personally believe, it's my opinion, but that 110,000, I think if we could get everybody to try this, and then, you know, not everybody would stay on it. And then the ones that didn't stay on it would maybe get other kind of treatment or maybe eventually just die. Okay. But if we, if we got everybody to try this and we could get 50% of the people to really get on this thing, and you can eventually get off. It might take a while. Different people might take a year, two years, three years, five years. Okay. If we get, I think we could cut overdose deaths in half. Now that, that's, that's, that's still sad. At one time, I would have said, my God, 55,000 overdose deaths a year. And unfortunately, we would welcome that today. Yeah. <laughs> We've never seen hardly any reduction in overdose deaths. It's always been an increase. And so I get revved up about this. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, yeah, it's okay. I, I, it's good to be revved up. Yeah, we we got to find a way to save a life, okay? And, and, I, and it's not perfect. It doesn't really work for everybody, okay? But everybody should be trying it. And the truth is, there's a stigma attached to it. I used, three years ago, I probably would not have been saying what I'm saying now. I had mixed bag about its effectiveness. Yeah, the people say you're, you're, you're going off, you're going off one drug it, on and an, taking another one. But, right. but, I, but I understand that the purpose of taking the other one is so that you don't take a drug that's going to kill you. A absolutely. So that's, it becomes treatment and harm reduction and it blocks and it might even have an effect on supply. And this is the little extra effort. Now, maybe that's wishful thinking or dream thinking, but if you could get enough people on this, but you got to do it almost for free. Because I can tell you right now, sometimes they go to a doctor, the doctor charges 300 bucks or 200 bucks, and then they, they get the prescription filled for Suboxone, and that might cost them 100 bucks. And they can get fentanyl, they can get a couple of doses of fentanyl for 20 bucks. Okay? And that instant, even though that's dangerous, they might only have 20 bucks. Yeah, they're going to say it, it's what it, they have. That's... They're going to take what they can get. And even if they know it, and sometimes they don't know it, but even if they know it, they're going to take the risk. And if they got high enough tolerance, many times it doesn't kill them the first time. But eventually they're going to probably slip up and it's going to kill them. And that's why we got 110,000 overdose deaths. So if we get a number of those people on this, I think we can, we can reduce the demand and when you reduce demand, it cripples the suppliers. 
it really kind of screws up the economic thing. When they got to compete sometime against zero cost, you can't compete and make a profit against zero cost. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy. No, you got to do the zero cost. And while I'm thinking about it, um, remember, if you want to talk to Dan, it's 781-834-9639. 781-834-9639. And um, Dan's here in the studio, so this is a golden opportunity. This is not a tape show. Uh, well, it might be next time you hear it. <laughs> I welcome any kind of questions. That's what doggone sure. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, there was, I'll, I'll tell a little story. If anybody comes in with a question, I'll be glad to pause and it Tony's got another question. I can pause. I can, I can go on sometime too much, but I'm going to tell a little story that I'm kind of sort of proud of. Okay. I don't know if you want to call it. I don't know if it's cocky. I don't think it's cocky, but, but I, after I shut down a pill mill doctor, one of the most notorious pill mill doctors in the country. Okay. For sure. The biggest in Louisiana. Okay. She only opened at night. Okay. She was never, she was like a vampire. Okay, uh, she only opened at night, and you know, at two o'clock in the morning, there were hundreds of people out there, and 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 I wound up putting out a business. She even had support by the New Orleans Police Department. She had them policing her apparatus. Well, the cash she had, they needed to guard her. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, me and my wife went out there and videotaped her office, and I eventually dogged and dogged and dogged, and eventually shut it down. You got to watch the show to to do that, or eventually the movie, and I eventually am going to work on a book. Okay, uh, but 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 uh, I'm losing my doggone train of thought where I was going right now. You know, but uh, but uh, uh, pill mill late at night. Yeah, she, she's open late at night. But I was I wanted to move on to uh, a, a certain point that I was trying to make. Uh, maybe you, you interject right now. It'll come back to this old seventy three year old brain. I know uh, you're not much younger than me. <laughs> I, I know you're older than me, but any event. Yeah, no, it's like I thought it'll come back. Yeah, again, the big thing is, to me, is they're still prescribing opioids in hospitals after surgeries. They're not giving you as much, but I've had surgery in the last year or so, and every time a different group of nurses took over the shift, they kept telling me that I had to take this drug to, to you know, so that I wouldn't get a breakthrough pain. And that sort of thing. And I said, you know, I got the pain. The big thing that I think people need to also know is that they watch the dope sick. One of the big theories is that they, if the, if the person, once the pain came back, you needed to up the dose. Exactly. And that's how they, they doubled their profits by when they doctors, they, when the salespeople went back out, they said, well, you, everything's okay. You just need to double the dose. Right. And that, that's what it was meant to do, you know, because they're getting used to it. So double it up. You're absolutely right. We still dispense way more opioids. Now, we have curtailed it, okay? And fentanyl is, is, is so much cheaper that people who develop any sort of addiction are going to go in that direction. And it's a deadly direction. Now, I thought it did come back to me just now with the point I was trying to make. After I shot Dr. Cleggett down, she tried to get her license back. And I had to give a deposition. And uh, we had an attorney there, the court reporter there, and I, I had, uh, uh, I didn't have my own attorney, but I had the medical board uh, kind of supervising me a little bit in this thing. And we were sitting there, and 
his attorney was really trying to do what they normally do, trying to tear me down. Uh, he insinuated that some kind of way me and my son were drug dealing, okay? My son had been murdered years before, nothing to do with opioids. He was attempting to buy crack and he was murdered, okay? And so it was crazy what he was bringing up, but they, they, they tried to do that, and we, we countered that, okay? And then, then he's also trying to say, so you was on this mission, Mr. Snyder, and you was out to get my doctor, you know, was out to per persecute her. And what would you have, how much would you have spent? How much, how, how much, how much time and effort would you have put into this uh, to, to persecute my doctor? And I said, well, you know, I paused and I said, uh, what's a life worth? And he said, you don't get to ask these questions. I said, that wasn't a question. That was the answer. Basically, I'd have done anything to save a life. And the court reporter, like, stopped, okay? And this guy had got, he had backed himself into a corner with that daggone question, okay? Yeah. And I really am proud about that I came up with that, that answer. And he trapped himself when he said, you don't get to ask questions. I said, what the question? That was the answer. What's a life worth? You answer it if you want to answer it, okay? To me, you can't put a price on a life, okay? So what would I have done to shut a doctor down who was killing kids? Whatever it took. That's the right answer. Yeah. So um, on another note, Dan, uh, tomorrow you're going to be at uh, Thaniel Hall, Yes, absolutely. At what time would you be there? I think I think it's two o'clock. Okay, and uh, uh, David can give us a note. One o'clock or two o'clock? Two o'clock. Two o'clock. Absolutely, yeah. And you're going to speak into what is the organization that's going to be? It's it's a recovery group. Okay, and they they're going to spend most of the day there. And the governor uh, Healy may actually even come by, and we hoping that to connect to her. I, I, David Morgan helped put this together. The group is called... Oh, Join the Voices of Recovery. Join okay. the Voices of Recovery, M-O-A-R. Okay. Massachusetts... Um, yeah. It, it's a Massachusetts Organization for it's Addiction It's really a coincidence. I, I didn't actually plan that. I planned on meeting with you. I planned on meeting them. But I really kind of vacationing, too, a part yeah. of the deal with my wife. And sure enough... I got a, a, a hotel right next to the uh, commons, okay, where I can... You're, you're right there. I, and sure enough, they got an event right when I'm there. So uh, Yeah, it's walking uh, distance. He, he, uh, he uh, David actually helped pull some strings because they already had their agenda line out. So uh, it'll probably just be a short talk, but I'm going to be given a few minutes to talk, and that's a great thing. And I wanted to mention that uh, the... Uh, 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 yeah, I think I didn't. No, excuse me, I did. I covered all the groups, and we had four different events in in, in in Washington: the White House event, okay, the Mobilize uh, Recovery, uh, Lost Voices of Fentanyl, which is a, a supply side, uh, politically based group, but a lot of grieving mothers and people that are still trying to save lives in their own way, and then they had the Truth, uh, uh, Trail of Truth, which is a home reduction group. And that was a great group also. Ed Bish spoke at both of those. I was not on the agenda. I, w I will say this. I had kind of slowed down a little bit, and, and I kind of still have. I'm 73 now, and uh, I uh, kind of got tired of travel a little bit, okay? So I, I hadn't actually planned on going to Washington until maybe a month before the event happened. I, all of a sudden, 
changed my gears and wanted to go. And then I got invited to the White House. And then I said, well, geez, I'm, I've been wanting to see David Morgan. I've been wanting to see Tony LaGreca. And, and I said, well, geez, I'm, you know, and don't get me wrong. I thought it was only like another five hours, okay? <laughs> and it would, and it's really eight hours or ten hours. When, in my car, it's doesn't, probably 12 hours. It doesn't okay? look that bad when you move your finger up the map. Exactly. You realize but I'm, you're on Route I'm 95 in a four-lane traffic jam. I, I, I'm still very glad I did it because we're getting a chance to spread the message and we're getting a chance to, to do some vacation in this area and meet some people. Uh, David Morgan is a pharmacist in the area. i got to give him a hats off. He sent me the other day, he sent me, he did a, 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 a slideshow, I think back in the year 2002, okay? And that's when I was actually fighting this battle with OxyContin. And so was Ed Bish, okay? But not a lot of people were doing this, much less pharmacists, okay? Because pharmacists also made a lot of money in doing oh, this yeah. interview, okay? And D D David, you know, stopped carrying it in his stores because stores were being robbed, okay? But he went beyond that. He wound up making a slideshow that he could show to other pharmacists and other doctors, okay, on what was wrong with OxyContin that it was an addictive drug, yeah, that it did lead to crime. And I, I can't tell you the whole doggone thing, but he sent me that slideshow, and I was I was so impressed that he had put this together uh, in 2002, you know. One of the reasons why my show came to light, too, is obviously my son's death and me solving that murder, which was incredible, and me putting this high-level pill mill doctor when the DA couldn't do it, the FBI couldn't do it, I, I managed to get her shut down. It's, I'm losing, again, I'm losing this, this old brain's losing. I guess I'm tired from the, the road. Well, I wanted to ask you, how did you, how did you film it? How did you film it? Like, there's always pictures of you being down in the ninth district, and you. I'm was, glad you filming me. it. Were you filming it as you were doing it, or were you filming it, reenacting it, twenty years later? No, no, no. I was. That was that was all live in time. And some people ask me, well, I, at that stage, I knew what I was doing. But when when I started recording, okay, and I wasn't videoing the police, okay, but during the course of my son's murder, I was grieving a lot, and at first I started trying to work with the police to help solve my son's murder, and and I quickly realized that they didn't give a crap. Another drug deal going bad, you know, a stupid kid shouldn't have been there, okay, and they treated him almost equal to his killer, and all he was was a, a beginning drug user who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, okay? But any event, I, they, they would play tricks on me. In other words, I would ask them, would you try to do this? I want you to look into this. And they'd say, yeah, Mr. Snyder, we will, okay? And then I'd call maybe two weeks later. I tried not to bug them every day. I tried to back off as much as I throttle myself, okay? Give them some leeway. And I'd call them and say, how did that work out? And they'd say, you didn't ask me that. They denied that you... And, 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 and it caused me to say, maybe I didn't. So I started recording them to make sure of what I said and what they said. And then it became an investigatory tool. And one of the reasons the, the documentary was so great, we had a lot, a lot of things. And then I started doing crazy things once I started doing this recording. It was also my... Uh, I would pray into this recorder. And, and, I, and, I, and, and I would... 
the recorder became my friend, sort of. It was not only an investigation tool, it became my friend. And so I, I learned how to investigate with this thing, and I learned how to use this, okay? And then with the doctor now, I recorded patients, okay? We, we slipped the recorder into our office in some instances, okay? And then also, I had bought a video camera, and I knew that the next step was, let's get this on video. And so yeah. we, we visited our office, and then I called the TV stations, and I presented that video, and I presented the FBI and the DEA and Nine Yards. And so that's how that happened. And what's shown on there is original filming. So okay. this 35-millimeter film or 8-millimeter, what was the? At the time, the, 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 the video camera was the, one of the latest and the greatest at that time. It was this little cartridge thing, uh, a, yeah. a, a mini, mini thing, but it was still tape, I believe it was, okay? Or, yeah, because in 2002 or three, you now we're talking, right? That's right. It was the latest thing at that time. It wasn't a big, big clunker, okay? But it was, no. and, and then my recording equipment was like little pocket recorders and, uh, you know, with battery operated and... Uh, it wasn't this electronic kind of stuff. And fortunately, that was still good enough when they made the documentary. I mean, we lost some, but the overwhelming majority was still good enough. And they, they took it and digitized it all. Okay, and so Somebody so, edited the whole thing. Yeah, they edited it. They, 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 they only used pieces of it. Okay, And there was a lot of BS in there, too, because I was not really that sophisticated. I, you know, we I would record things that... You know, uh, didn't have to be recorded. Okay, uh, I had an inline recorder that every call came in. In fact, there's a funny section in the show with my wife, and she's she was always kind of like a reluctant warrior, you might say. Okay, she she really wanted me to do this, but she didn't want me to get killed. And she had friends and family that kept saying, "You got to stop him. He's going to get killed." Which there was risk that I was taking, and so but sometimes she'd get aggravated with me, and I was on on the, on the phone talking and the recorder was going I didn't even realize the recorder I'm talking to like a friend okay and my wife's in the background trying to talk with her, one of her friends in the kitchen and you know I'm overriding them okay and she said if you don't shut up I'm going to punch you in the face something like that she said okay hmm. and uh, we recorded that so when the, when, the, when the documentary makers picked that up on the recording okay they, 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 they asked me would you want us to share that okay also they picked up one time i recorded and i didn't mean to record this i recruited my wife crying okay and i think it was inadvertent i don't think i would have recorded that it was just i was recording almost by accident yeah. and she was crying out god why did you take my son in in, in a cry a wail okay and they asked me if I wanted to show those two different things. And I said, yeah. I said, the first one, because of humor, okay? Because it turned out to be funny because we recorded this, okay? And, and, and then the other one, I said, no. They ought to hear what a mom goes through. The public ought to hear what a mother goes through because guess what? There's a lot of moms out there losing kids don't get a documentary, okay? And the public's got to hear what a, mama, what a mama goes when she hears her son is dead from drugs. Yeah. Now, did you go door to door, knocking on doors, yeah, asking questions? I did. I and how door. receptive were the people when you were doing that? It was mixed. I did get some positive, uh, some positive feedback. I got some tips. I eventually, solved the murder by cold yeah. calling on the phone. Okay. Yeah, I know. So eventually, got found a witness that, that that came forward. But I had gotten a lot of tips uh, when I called. I had a few were nasty. Okay. 
and uh, a, a lot of hang-ups and, and then a lot of no, can't get through to them, okay? Uh, but uh, but they also were some positive people that were concerned and tried to help, okay? Now, trying to help and getting a witness is two different doggone things. To find that witness and to convince her to come forward and testify to get some measure of justice was almost a miracle, Okay, almost a miracle. And another little inside story in this, and I think it's sort of told in the documentary, but maybe not as elaborate as it should be, is it's crazy if you I'm giving some of the documentary away. Some people have seen it. Some people haven't seen it. But crazy thing in this story is the police originally told me uh, who, 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 uh, that they had a witness who saw the, the killing. And, and so when the, when the case got kind of stale, I went to that witness. And I started working with that witness. I befriended that witness. And that was the actual murderer. And that right? was the actual murderer. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, so that, that was another crazy twist. Okay. And, but eventually, when I did find a witness, and she, and she named the, the witness that I had befriended as the killer, I almost couldn't believe it. You know, uh, and so... I wanted to believe it, and it made sense, okay. But you know, you know, I I didn't want to go after the wrong person, okay. And I, and I had to figure out how to put this together. So, in any event, one of my neighbors caught me cutting grass by my house in my suburban home, okay. And he walked over. And he says, "Danny," he says, "He says you keep going up there, you're going to get killed." Because I was still going up there and trying to get more information to find out was it the one was he the witness or was he the killer. And who was the killer if he wasn't the killer? Okay. And he said, you're going to get killed. You keep going up there. And he says, are you going up there with a gun? I said, no. I said, I, you know, I've never done guns. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'd have to get training and whatnot. And and I don't know. I've made a deal with God that if I, if I do this right, and that nobody gets hurt. And so, you know, it might be crazy, but I was going up there without a gun. Now, I, I, I use some defensive techniques, Tom, and I would only go in for like 30, 40 minutes and I'd be out of there. When, I, when I'd go in there, would, I would borrow different cars to go in there so that they couldn't recognize the same car. You know, I did some th- and I wouldn't go in at nighttime, obviously. I went at times that were less likely to be hurt. But anyway, he says you're going to get killed. He says, so I'll go with you and I'll ride shotgun. Well, I didn't mind him having a gun. and I wasn't totally against guns, okay? Yeah. So he rode literally shotgun. And I would go interview, and he would be there looking around, and if anything happened, he was going to protect me some kind of way, okay? Well, we went a couple times, and he kind of got a little aggravated when he said, you know, he says, i got to be honest with you. He said, I, I, I'm doing this, he said, because, you know, I used to be a drug addict. And I mean a big-time drug addict. He said, you know, I, I live now two doors from you, two or three doors from you, and I live in this nice neighborhood, and I've been clean now for over 10 years or whatever, the number of years. He said, but I, I used to do drugs up there. I used to sell drugs in the neighborhood where your son got killed. And, and I, I fought with people. I shot at people. I, had, I was shot at, okay? And he says, I know the dealers up there. And he says, I know an old guy up there that he's a retired drug dealer. It was kind of comical when he said that. And he said, but, you know, he's still in the know. But, you know, he's up in age now, and there are other people that have taken over. But he knows the lay of the land there. He says, I'm going to bring you to him, and maybe he can tell you which one killed your son or if it was somebody else. So sure enough, he brings me up there, okay, and I sit down with this old man. This old man's like taking notes. He knows what what I'm there for. He asks me the name of the two kids. I give him the name of the two kids. I tell him a little bit about the story. 
And he says, okay, he says, I, I think I can get an answer for you. Do you want me to have him killed? Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I promised God I was going to do this the right way. Okay. And if nobody got hurt, I'd go on a mission to try to do other things to save lives, which I've done. Okay. And another crazy thing is, though, I still think I might have killed him. I might have, I might have ordered the killing. I, you know, I, because I had the police telling me, there's no way you're going to get any justice. They had botched the case up so much that there was no physical evidence, okay, and I was only going to have one witness, and the witness' life was being threatened. And she was even reluctant to come forward, okay? And she might die before she ever got to the witness stand or change her mind. So in a way, I almost said, well, you know, killing him would be uh, self-defense, so to speak, preventing him from killing somebody else. So uh, uh, there was a way to rationalize me killing him. Of course, you know, you, you're you not thinking quite right either, okay? But there was a part of me that didn't believe in that, okay? But my son had written a poem about four or five years before he died called 12.01 a.m. He was against the death penalty. I had even had a little mini argument or discussion with him because I was kind of for the death penalty. He's kind of won the battle with me now. I don't want to debate or, or, or have it, you know, to each his own on that. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a mixed argument, okay? But that poem for sure, saved that kid's life, okay? And that guy did tell me who it was, okay? And I got more evidence and eventually got the witness to come from. We got some measure of justice. Now the next scene, and this might be in the, in the movie. Next scene is 10 years later, I visit this kid in jail. He finally admits for sure that he killed my son, tries to explain what went on, okay? And that he's sorry, okay? But one of the first things he says, he says, Mr. Danny, calls me Mr. Danny now because he, he was yeah. my friend at one time, okay? Mr. Danny, I want to thank you for saving my life. And, and, and I knew what he, what he was thinking. What he was thinking was almost all of his friends, and I knew all of runners up there and all the dealers up there because I had studied the whole thing. Almost all of his friends were dead. They died on the street. And in all fairness, many people told me, don't worry about it. The street will get him, which it probably would have, but not before he would have killed a few more people, maybe like my son. And I wouldn't have been doing it the right way, letting him die on the street. Yeah, he so, saved his life by putting him in jail where it was safe. I did. But what he didn't know is it wasn't me that saved his life. It was the old guy. It was my son. Your son, that's what I mean with the poem. The poem. And, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal story, and I hope we, that comes across in, 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 in the movie because to me, and I'm proud of my son for that, okay? And my son actually would have wanted this kid to have a second chance, okay? He was 15 years old, and I'm not going to, you know, it's hard to forgive him, okay, in a sense, okay? But he was 15, typical story. Mama was in jail. Daddy was in jail. All he ever knew only success he ever knew was to sell drugs, okay? And I don't know if this is true or not. He supposedly didn't mean to kill my son. At least that's what he claims, okay? Supposedly fired a warning shot. And the reason why he even got involved with my son, some of the cops had insinuated my son shorted him or something. That was never wound up being true, okay? 
What had happened is there was a whole bunch of confusion that went on up there, okay? And the white, there was a battle going on between the whites and the blacks. And it was mainly these white kids that went up there with no money, okay, who had been long time, had been through three rehabs and four rehabs and, you know, uh, and, and they would go up there and would fight with the blacks. The, the blacks would try to show at them, and the, and the whites would try to show at them, and they, they would go to battle with each other. Well, my son had money. Yeah. My, my son had money, so my son wasn't up, uh, up, up there for that. But this kid got confused and thought my son was coming after him some kind of way. At least that's what he claims. And suppose he meant to fire a warning shot. And we'll never know whether he did or not, but he killed my son and he apologized. So that, that's kind of that story. Well, Dan, we'll have to leave it there because we're, we're more than out of time. We went over a little bit. All right. That's okay. You're a very special guest. You came about 2,000 miles to be here <laughs> in a battery-operated car. It's, <laughs> hopefully it's not as bad as my telephone. <laughs> Needs a charge every five or six hours or something. Um, this has very, been very special. We really appreciate you and um, all your candidness. That's what I like. This, you don't hold anything back. You really give it, you know. And uh, the name of our show is Courage to Hope. And you've had more courage than anybody I know out there doing what you did. And that's the big thing. And then at the same time, you give us some hope with some of the future things that you're working on. So we really want to thank you for really hitting the, right, the, the nail right on the head with the courage to hope. Well, in closing, my theme is Tunnel of Hope, okay? There's light at the end of the tunnel. I got a website, tunnelofhope.org. People can go on it. I got a Facebook group called Supporters of the Pharmacist Dan Schneider. So if you want to follow me or find out information, you can go online and do this kind of stuff on Okay, and we'll look for. And I think you need to see the the first movie if you haven't seen it yet, the documentary, The Pharmacist. And is it now four parts or three parts? Four parts. Four parts, because I saw it was three. So it's still out, and it's become popular again because Painkiller came out. Okay, and it's a pretty good show. But they talk about if you watch Painkiller, you ought to watch The Pharmacist. So now I'm getting all kind of comments and. It, it, it moved right. up in the ranking again, okay? It, yeah. it was in the top 10 a couple of weeks ago. And I will bet anybody, if you watch episode one on Wednesday, you will see all four episodes by Saturday. There Most was, people you, binge watch it. You Absolutely. binge watch this because you cannot stop watching it because totally it's so compelling. You. Thank you for what you do too. Okay, you 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 dog it at this too. Okay, this is the love of your life trying to spread this message. We who have lost kids, we we can't save our kids. Okay, but no. maybe we can save somebody else's kid. That's the plan to get them get the message out. Amen. Again, thank you very much. And this is Tony Lagreca, and you've been listening to Dan Snyder, and this is the Courage to Hope.
1510 WMEX Quincy, Boston, and 101.1 FM W266 DQ Weymouth. WMEX Quincy, Boston.